I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. chapter 10. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy 
so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his love, his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for setting your heart on us. We now set our hearts and turn our ears to you. Amen. So if you were with us last week, or if you weren't with us last week, um, we'll review a little bit. We're making our way through some of the most um, disliked, misunderstood, or just un- not read, like books that people, uh, the amount of people I've heard mis- mispronounce the word Deuteronomy. I mean, like it's we don't really know what it is. We, we rarely read from it. And so um, we're moving through many of those books in the Old Testament. Last week we were, we were in Leviticus. And what we learned in Leviticus was, you know, Leviticus is full of all these rules and these long lists of um, commands that just seem irrelevant to us and a lot of words about what is an abomination to God. And so what do we do with this? And what we gleaned from it is that Leviticus is asking us to be a holy people. And that holiness doesn't necessarily mean a change in morals or behavior, but that holiness is a people. Holiness embodied in a people is when we begin to create holy spaces together. When we embody God's holiness right here in this space, right here. And so today we are in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is this hinge in the Bible. It looks backwards toward the journey of the people of God at the edge of the land that God promised them in Genesis, and it points forward to the people's future in that land. The journey is described as taking hundreds of years and lots of challenges and detours and disasters and near disasters, but but now the people, they're on the verge of this new life And Moses, knowing that he will not enter the land with them, is trying to figure out what final words will I give these people of encouragement and exhortation? What final words will I offer them before I am no longer with them? And they're going to do what they're going to do. We know that Moses didn't just dream up Deuteronomy. 
Um, Deuteronomy in se- in itself underwent um, this lengthy and complex growth process of its writing over a couple of centuries, actually. It was a document that was composed over, over many centuries by many hands, and because of that, Deuteronomy has some lousy theology. Annihilate the peoples of the land, it says in Deuteronomy 20. Deuteronomy takes this terrifying genocidal, these terrifying genocidal impulses motivated by fear and turns them into law. Thank you. That, that's a premier example of why cherry-picking verses from the Bible doesn't work for us, right? But actually, honestly, Deuteronomy isn't all that bad. If you compare it to Leviticus, I mean, it looks bright and shiny, actually. That's, that's really the, that's, I mean, that line is really the only line that is just hard, like, uh, grit your teeth to bear. But there's not much in, in Deuteronomy that we would pick and find fault with. Uh, it's not like Leviticus full of no's and laws we don't understand and cold abominations. Deuteronomy actually gives us some of the best biblical theology we have, in addition to having a line that's really we don't know what to do with. It lays out some of the essential tenets of Israel's covenant relationship with God, vividly illustrated by the passages that we read today and by many other passages that that you all, if you heard, would probably even think you heard it before. But the reason why you've heard it before is more, more than likely because of Jesus repeating those words later on in Scripture. This is Moses' last best effort to tell the people what is critical to know about their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. And there's so much richness in these texts, um, and we could tackle so many pieces of it. We could, for example, we could focus in on the fact that Deuteronomy 6 and 10 says, what does the Lord your God require of you? What What does he require of us? Only to revere the Lord your God, to walk in all God's ways, to love God, to serve God. There, there's richness in this. Or, or we could focus on another equally rich verse. Keep the divine commandments. If it's for your well-being to follow this law. The you in this case is not um, like a singular you, not you individually. It actually keep the commandments so that all y'all may flourish. It's better said in the South. We understand it better than anyone else. God gives the law, the Torah, because it benefits all of us. So we could focus on this if we wanted to. Or we could focus on the end of the passage, um, that God executes justice for the orphan and for the widow and, and loves strangers, providing them with food and clothing. We wouldn't disagree with any of these things. These are all good things to us. Deuteronomy knows that we are humans in need of repetition, and so it just kind of repeats those things over and over again. Love the Lord your God. What does God require of you? Take care of others. Love the Lord your God. What does God require of you? Take care of others. We could just focus on this, but the problem is there's nothing really to debate about that. And so what is it about Deuteronomy that is so hard to swallow? What is it? Why does the book need to be retuned at all then? It's subtle, but you'll find it at the end of Deuteronomy 10. The scripture read this morning, God chose one, chose Israel over all other people. God set God's heart alone on God's ancestors alone and and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the people of the earth. No, (laughs) 
no, 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 I do not want this God. God cannot have preferences like this. Can, can God? I don't, can't. Does that sound like the God we know? God can't play favorites. The philosophers and theologians and agnostics and atheists, anyone who has two ounces of intellectual heft reject this God who plays favorites. Everybody knows favoritism is the surest and biggest mistake in parenting and in teaching and in managing people, and it, it surely does not add any dignity at all to the God we are worshiping. In Christian theology, we call this, this one line that we find in Deuteronomy and what we see later on embodied in Jesus, we call this the scandal of particularity. 18th century philosophers called it the scandal of particularity or the ugly ditch between reason and history, they said. If God is sovereign over the entire universe, then God cannot choose favorites. God cannot work in a local parochial way. Like, it, God can't work through a person like Abraham, through a people like is, Israel. God can't save the whole earth through one person named Jesus. It makes absolutely no sense to the rational mind, <clears throat> and therefore it's a scandal. The claim in Deuteronomy is totally nonsensical. The whole cosmos belongs to God, we say, and yet inexplicably, bizarrely, God fell in love with Israel for the sake of the whole world. Why would God do this? Why would God, whose canvas is the whole cosmos, give two cents about this little scrappy people, Israel? There are gigantic, noteworthy civilizations all around Israel at this time. If God was going to fall in love, and it's not clear if we even know it's possible for God to fall in love in a rational mind, well, if God was to fall in love, why not fall in love with one of the great civilizations of Mesopotamia or Egypt? Like, they're influential, they're enormous, they're, they're centers of culture and art and music and greatness. A few chapters back, we read in Deuteronomy that God chose Israel, even though they were the fewest of all peoples. Apparently, God wasn't looking for greatness. God just loved this unimpressive people. One of the unique qualities of the Hebrew scriptures, unlike any other texts from this time period, is that they are relentlessly, Israel is relentlessly self-critical. While every other writings that you find from Mesopotamia and Egypt boast of their culture and their art and their music and their size, Israel is constantly self-critical. This is why Deuteronomy in the words of one biblical scholar constitutes a major challenge for us to any sort of national self-righteousness and triumphalism. There is no exceptionalism for Israel. Folks have used that verse, though, have used that verse that I chose you to be a great nation to advocate for America being a great nation and for America to have predominance in the world, but there is no exceptionalism here. God does not love Israel because they are better than others, but because Israel is a means by which God can bring blessing to the world. Blessing the whole world through one people was the plan from the beginning. Back in Genesis, in the promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, that 
that mission undergirds the whole of the scriptures, that Israel is God's, but that neither Israel nor the church is an end in itself. The church is a means of blessing the whole world. That's its mission. These days, this week, um, this month perhaps, it is fairly natural for us to feel a bit powerless, (laughs) especially like when you're watching the news this week and um, you're watching storms come in, storms cycling this way, storms cycling this way, storms destroying the Philippines, storms destroying neighboring states of ours, new results, new statistics on what happened even a year ago um, in um, with Hurricane Maria, I mean, you look at you look online, you look at at the news, and 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 it's easy to feel powerless. But but the temptation, the temptation to feel powerless, it assumes that our particularity, our our smallness, makes us powerless. Who am I? I'm just one person, right? But God's choosing, God's election, is of the seemingly powerless. Abraham. Israel, Jesus, the church, you, me, it suggests something wholly different. The journalists um, James and Deborah Fallows have recently published a book, and it's entitled Our Towns, A 100,000-Mile Journey into the Heart of America. And the Fallows, they traveled the country visiting all these small and mid-sized cities as they were preparing to write this book. And somewhat surprisingly, given the, the kind of political angst of our country currently, it's a really hopeful book. While polls show that, that most of Americans feel not at ease right now with our politics or with the way the country's um, going, they, they also, though, think, in this book it proves, they also, though, think their own communities are improving. How can this be? <laughs> the Fallows note that while people have less faith in national governance than they ever have before, they have increasing faith in local governance. While there is hostility towards immigration on maybe a national scale in communities that actually have critical mass of immigrants, there is widespread acceptance and even embrace in those communities. These are small and mid-sized cities across the country in like South Dakota and Vermont and Minnesota and Pennsylvania, for example, And what they show is that hope is to be found in people's engagement in the local, in the particular, in downtowns, libraries, schools, in in conservation efforts in your area, in countless ways that people are finding that making things work happens in the local. Another guy, Michael, who is a theologian, says something very similar. He says, a little different direction, but in his book, Ordinary Virtues, he argues that universal morals, <laughs> universal moral ideas have fallen short of expectations all around us. There are, there are no universal, all-inclusive answers to our problems anymore. <laughs> Neither technology, nor, nor democracy, nor anything that happens to anyone everywhere will bring lasting improvement across the board. When the technologies and ideas of well-intentioned globalizers, I mean, they're, they're useful tools, but only small, local, particular answers will bring about positive change. So maybe it shouldn't then appall us that God chose Israel. 
Maybe it shouldn't surprise us that God worked in the particularity of Israel to bring blessing to all the world. Maybe it shouldn't surprise us that God works in the small, seemingly insignificant ways and insignificant communities. Maybe that's what works. God works locally because that's how blessing spreads. God, God's love for you, for each of you, each individual person, God's heart for you, God, God's heart is set on you, each, each one of you here today, which seems pretty crazy when you think about the scale of the cosmos, but maybe God works this way because that's what works which means God works through you and through me. Our election means we bear, we bear God's blessing to the rest of the world. That's why, that's why Teresa of Avila, one of the mothers of the church, was known for saying, Christ has no body now on earth but you, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion looks out onto all of the world. Yours, you, your individual person, yours are the feet by which he goes about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is ready to bless people now. A couple of years ago, when um, we were first starting this church, we were, it was in the spring of 2016, and we were meeting every other week because we weren't ready to be a every week worshiping church. might have been one of the worst decisions we ever made because we never could remember what week it was to worship. Um, <clears throat> but on those Sundays in between... I got to attend other churches. So I, I thought, why not know what's around us, right? And so I went to some mega churches in the area, and I went to, to some churches that existed for 50 years on Franconia Road, and I went to some churches in Old Town that have existed nearly 200 years. And, and one Sunday morning, I stumbled in on this very, very small church, um, which for the sake of this story, I will not tell you which one it is. I discovered upon worshiping um, with them that occasionally this church had some kind of special music, and it was sung by this little group, this little ensemble that they called their mission singers, which is this little ensemble of like five or six people, five or six ladies, and the pastor. That morning, one of the ladies, the, the apparent leader of the, the mission singers, announced to the congregation that the singers... <laughs> had not had time to rehearse that morning. She implied, though she didn't actually say out loud, um, she implied that some, some of these mission singers did not show up on time this morning to, um, to prepare um, for this morning's special music as she rolled her eyes. And so, so there was no time to rehearse beforehand. As a result, the same woman, she, she gets up to the microphone and she explains that, so because of this, when the time comes, in the service for the mission singers to sing their special song, which is called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, that the rest of the congregation, you all, also need to stand up and sing it with us. So, so there seemed to be, at first, this general understanding that this was happening. They, they like disseminated words to the music so that people could, could sing along. But, but then the moment came, and something unfortunate happened because the five or six mission, um, mission singers are on stage with the pastor and they stand up to sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And it was clear that the congregation had zero intention of standing up and helping them sing this song. <clears throat> no one had the music out. They had already folded it up like some in like some like little birds and things that they stuck in the pew by that point in time. 
And everyone just remains seated, like staring, staring blankly at the mission singers, waiting for them to perform. And so the woman gets back up to the mic, and she's like scowling at us. <laughs> she steps forward and <laughs> announced forcefully to us, no one sits down for stand up, stand up for Jesus. <laughs> at this point, like I'm like belly laughing. She's like, get up! <laughs> and like we were an unbestirred community, very you know, apathetic people that morning. We were apathetic, tired Christians. But when that woman said, you get up, <laughs> we were up and we were just making up the words. Like we're just gonna, we're gonna appease her. God, <laughs> I'm gonna sw- switch. <laughs> Y'all figure out why I said that. Uh, God's mode of operation, God's modus operandi, God's way of working in the world is through the small, through the five or six, <laughs> God's way of working in the world is through the seemingly powerless, the seemingly unprepared. In the Old Testament, it's mainly Israel, though there are many others in the Old Testament too. And in the New Testament, God works through the person of Jesus and the church. In all cases, God is working through these particularities for the sake of the world so that all the families of the world will be blessed. And God works through us, we are God's chosen people. We are God's favorites. But that doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. What does it mean that Christ has no body on earth but ours now? It means we, we don't get to just sit here. We don't get to just sit. We don't get to take our music and fold it up and sit staring back at God. Our election matters. Our being chosen by God matters, as though setting a new tune in the world isn't left to some particular set of people called to a particular mission, brought together as a particular ensemble, but that we are invited to sing along too. God's heart is set on you. That's the scandal of God's love. That is scandalous, The, the scandal of God's call in your life. That's the scandal of particularity, that God does not play favorites, but God does meet you in every ounce of your particular life, your particular pain, your particular call. God's heart is set on you, which means no one sits down for stand up, stand up, Jesus. (laughs) Would you pray with me? God, thank you for setting your heart on us. Thank you for calling us, for choosing us, for choosing me, for choosing Nate, for choosing Gina, for choosing Betty Lynn, for choosing us in our particular situations, in our particular lives, to bear a blessing to the world. Forgive us, God, for the ways we have puffed ourselves up as the church or as Christians to be God's favorites, that we have a monopoly on God. We have the monopoly on on goodness and on God's favor. Forgive us for the ways that we have not um, bore the, the magnitude the responsibility that is being your chosen people, which is to be a blessing to everyone around us. Thank you, God, for the particularity of Jesus. We have all kinds of, we debate forever what it means that Jesus in a very particular way took flesh and died for us. We debate what that means, how it worked, what kind of atonement theory we have, But what matters is not that, but that you get small, God. You get particular. You you get individual. You get down 
you get down really personal with us. And we're grateful for that. God, we offer to you all of those who are hurting, who are without power, whose homes have become lakes. We offer to you the pets and the children and those in shelters and those who will have a long journey ahead. Thank you, God, that you see them in their particularity. And we join together in that prayer that was meant for all God's people, and yet every time we pray it, it feels like, feels like God, you're talking just to me. It feels like it's just us, and yet it's all of us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me, know What?